BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Behind the Panel, a podcast docu-series dedicated to everything comics brought to you by Sci-Fi Wire. I'm your host, Mike Avila. If you've ever wondered about the continuity of DC Comics, keep listening. For nearly a decade, Dan DiDio has been steering the DC Comics Starship as co-publisher with Jim Lee. From the New 52 to Rebirth, he's overseen some of the biggest and most controversial events in recent comics history. DiDio is tackling another topic sure to get fans riled up, DC's famously wonky continuity. He also continues to write comics, including his new revival of DC's Silver Age group, Metal Men. Time to go behind the panel with Dan DiDio. At the time of our conversation at New York Comic Con, DiDio had been revealing a few more details about his latest and biggest project at DC, the creation of an ultimate timeline of the company's 80-year history. While the finer points are still unknown, it will be segmented into four generations. Wonder Woman's arrival before World War II kicks off Generation One, making her, not Superman, technically the first superhero of the DCU. I'm certain fans will not argue about that at all. The purpose of the timeline is to organize DC's legendarily messy continuity and to help new events land in the right place. As a hardcore fan himself, setting history right is a top priority for DiDio. We've been building a brand new timeline for the DC Universe that takes into all accounts, all the major events and stories, and crisis is an integral part of moving one generation to the next. We wanted to build the timeline because we wanted to get a better base for our characters to know what happened and what didn't happen so we could understand how they interact even better. So a timeline became very important to us and really the editorial body led by one of our key editors took this on as a challenge and they came up with something that even exceeded my own expectations. They almost broke the timeline down by characters so we clearly knew where everybody was at what time. He's also writing the new Metal Men series with Shane Davis and Michelle Delecki handling the artwork. It reimagines the Silver Age team of sentient robots in a story that came to DiDio while he was watching HBO's Westworld. Longtime fan of the Metal Men. I have the full run of the original series. I pretty much got every version of the Metal Men as a fan, not as working at DC. And I've always loved the characters. I had a chance to write them for a brief time, working with Garcia Lopez on the Wednesday comics, which was a dream come true. But it was a short story, and I actually wanted to explore the characters a lot more. So this is the first chance I got to do it. So it's a lot of fun. And playing off of something that came out of Dark Knight's metal, right? Correct. As a matter of fact, I thought there was an untapped story in there with the nth metal as one of the catalysts to the whole storytelling. So I wanted to take and look at what would happen if we created an nth metal man and the idea of a character that was a psychic metal or reacted to people's emotions. It reacted to emotions, it gave off emotional energy itself, and in doing so, how it would affect a team that was nearly sentient but not truly alive. 
I'm always amazed when a publisher or an editor-in-chief for Major Comics Line is also writing a book. But does that help you keep your finger on the pulse a little bit of the business? Absolutely. That's actually one of the reasons why I like to do it. It gives me a chance to work with the editors, for them to understand my sensibilities. I get to know their sensibilities. It gets me involved in the production process to see how things are working or not working. And it also scratches that creative itch. You get a chance to do something that you like to do. I mean, I had a chance to write in animation for a number of years, and I sort of walked away from it when I started at DC in the editorial roles. But I try to get always involved in a little something, and that's why I like the quirky little characters off to the side. You don't want to do something major that could affect a lot of people, but I like to do the little books off to the corner. I think that's the strong part of DC. It's not just about Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, but all these crazy little corners. And working on something like a Phantom Stranger or Forever People or OMAC, all these things are just fun and exciting to me because I always look at these brilliant ideas that I feel have untapped potential. And if there's a way to contemporize them and attract new people, hopefully they become a favorite from new generation. I'm always in touch with a lot of artists and we're always talking about trying to find something to do together. I always have somebody in mind for a project whenever it comes together and that's what makes it interesting. You know, Keith and I on OMAC had a great time when I did Sideways. That was built for Kenneth Rock for just his design skills alone. And you know, I work with Philip Tan on both Outsiders and Phantom Stranger. He's a true superstar. Just focus, stay on a book for more than four issues, fellow, please. But for me personally, Shane was the guy I had in mind with Metal Men. And it's interesting because once I have the artist, then all of a sudden the project comes to life. It's been really interesting working with Shane because he's such an emotive artist. He puts some wonderful emotion in, in the books. <laughs> Look at this first time I'm ever gonna say this. Did the double page spread of gold in the position of Burt Reynolds from Playgirl. <laughs> That is to be seen, to be believed. And he captured it so perfect. I just got the page and I started laughing because it was so wonderful. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we did this other thing called RobotCon. We go to RobotCon. We send Tin and Lead, their guests in a robot convention. Naturally, he'd be drawing all the crazy little robots and people dressed up as robots. And he just brings so much life and energy to the page. It gets you really excited because I like to work outline plot first and then dialogue. That's actually part of my process of picking the artist is the artist that really is a storyteller too, so that they really be able to take a script and expand on it and flesh it out and find the visual sense that really brings it to life. When he's not scripting, DiDio continues to manage DC through one of the most challenging periods in the company's history. 2019 has seen the publisher endure layoffs and a reduction in the number of monthly comics it produces. But amid the gloom and doom that always seems to surround the comics industry, there are actually some bright spots. DC's 100-page giant comics at Walmart have been a big hit. Its black-label adult-oriented imprint found success with Batman Damned and Superman Year One. Even more encouraging, DC's young adult novels have connected with an audience that doesn't typically buy superhero comics. Cami Garcia and Gabrielle Piccolo's best-selling Teen Titans Raven signals that DC's attempt to find new readers is paying off. Everything we're doing right now is geared to bring new readers into comics. It's not just about creating new material, it's about finding new ways to reach them. And the good part about these young adult books is that they're very prominent in bookstores and in the Walmarts and Targets, they're in other places, and so we want to get into those places where people might casually pick it up. They might be familiar with the characters through TV or movies, and this is a way for them to buy it. The young adult line is interesting because we do believe there's a large female, younger audience that really wants to go out and buy this material, but we have to make sure the material is built for them in a style of story that they're comfortable reading and something that really feels speaks to them. And then again, with the black label material, it's for the older market, and it's also built for the bookstore market. So while we're selling them in periodical form direct market, it's the collection we're hoping that people really find because our goal, as our material starts to age and people age out of our material in some ways and it gets a little more tired, we want to constantly refresh our backlist and constantly refresh 
refresh our library. And by creating books like the young adult books or the black label books, this is a way for us to create a brand new backlist that we hope stays as evergreen as some of our greater material. It's essential in comics, finding new writers, new artists, new everything. Some of our characters are 80 years old. We celebrate that, you know? We seem like we're celebrating every year now, another 80th birthday. So the reality is because you have so much time behind you, there's so many ideas that are already set in place and you need not just a fresh set of eyes, a fresh perspective. Because if people come in with so much of what it was before ingrained, we wind up doing more of the same. The only way we can grow and change is really to have a point of view that is more in tune with today's society and find a way to bring our characters into that storytelling. Event series is a necessary evil. The event series, just like variant covers, used to be gasoline for the fire. Throw it on, it burns the fire better and everything works better and it brings you to different places. But the problem is, when you go from event to event, you only get diminishing returns and you're creating these false positives on your line. Once you become reliant on them, it forces you to tell too many stories that all feel event and then they all stop feeling like events. Our job is to make sure the books individually feel like an event unto itself, important to read by itself. And that way, when we do bring them together for something major, it feels even bigger. And through that larger storytelling, we can spin out and introduce new concepts and ideas with some sampling attached to it because it comes out of a major event. But if the event is just the event and people go away after it, then it stops servicing a purpose and becomes just another project necessary to drive sales. We'll be back with more Dan DiDio DC goodness after these short messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to our Behind the Panel chat with Dan DiDio. DiDio remains a popular target for the small but vocal faction of comics fans who like to vent on message boards and social media. Whatever you may think of his decisions as DC publisher, give the man this. He's a legit fan who lives and breathes comics. I could go super deep when you want. Start with the big four. House of Secrets, House of Mystery, Where Monsters Dwell, and Creatures on the Prowl. But before that, Green Goblin was my big thing. So my first Spider-Man comic was a Green Goblin comic. I got a big poster on my wall at the house signed by uh, John Romita Sr. of Spidey Saves the Day, which was the second issue that John Romita drew, probably one of my first comics ever. Love that dearly. Metal Men, Phantom Stranger, I've got the complete run of Atlas comics when Seaboard came out. So I bought everything with the exception. I think it was either Vicky or Binky, whatever it was, some silly comic. Some over great there. talent on those books. I loved them. When they moved over, I thought it was the biggest thing to find, but I really found it exciting. And then I followed that into Kamiko and First and Now Comics. 
Did you ever follow artists and writers to whatever they did? I really enjoyed Mike Grell, Dave Cockrum. Just amazing stuff. My aunt bought me a Superboy comic, but then they had the backups from Dave Cockrum's Legion, and that hooked me into Legion of Superheroes. That's why I'm a big fan of backups, because it's a sneaky way to introduce you to characters and concepts. I watched Jerry Conway do something really interesting as a fan. Firestorm came out five issues, went away, and then he introduced Firestorm in the back of Flash. He was a Flash backup. And then Firestorm appears as a member of the Justice League. And then from there, he's launched his own series again, and lo and behold, he has over issues of another run. If you have a great idea, you should never give up. And if you think a good idea is a good idea, you've got to find ways to see them back in the line and get people comfortable and familiar with it. And that way we can make them big and strong and have them hopefully be long runs. There were six writers at Marvel that I loved dearly and I followed from back and forth between Marvel and DC. And that's Jerry Conway, Roy Thomas, Steve Gerber, Steve Englehart, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman. You put their name on any one of the books and they weren't on the books, they were inside the books. I had to open them up to find them. They moved over to DC and I remember when Englehart came on to Justice League and he did the secret origin of the Justice League and I thought that was a lot of fun. And then Englehart and Rogers did that seminal run on Batman, on Detective. They did some Mr. Miracle. Same thing with Steve Gerber, did a little Mr. Miracle. Great stuff all around. Just so much enjoyment out of that material. And it's funny for me now as publisher, I look back and I realize we've never collected that stuff and we're finally getting that stuff in front of people. You talked about being a, a Legion of Superhero fan. That's a tough book to crack if you've never stepped into it. You know, it's interesting you say that because again, I started with it as backups. What they did in the Superboy backups were they only concentrated on one or two characters at a time in an eight page story. So you get a real chance to understand who that character is in eight pages. Not 20, 30 characters at a single time, two characters at a time. So by the time you get to the series taking over the Superboy book, you know everybody, you knew them all. And therefore it was much easier to understand and to join into it. And I'll tell you, if you go back to the older Legion stuff, there's some really dramatic material in there that is completely overlooked because they thought they were being written young, but they weren't. They were the first time you get a character killed, a team member, is Feralad. Very dramatic moment within those books. They stopped collecting Legion at a certain point. We're starting to collect those books right now in hardcover, and we have a strong omnibus program that collects them after they're in those cuts. But I think you're gonna see a lot more of the stuff being collected as we go down. I think the interest is there. There was, unfortunately, business reasons why we didn't collect a lot of material, and those concerns have changed, which have opened up the gates to a lot of material from the mid-70s to the early 90s. I've interviewed DiDio numerous times over the years, and he's always professional and surprisingly open for an executive at a button-down company like DC. But you've never seen a grown man as giddy as he was at the 2019 San Diego Comic-Con when he arrived at our studio carrying his latest purchase, an enormous Godzilla statue. I don't think I'll ever work on a Godzilla comic because it's just too much fun. But if you read anything that I've ever written, I have put kaiju in every single book that I've ever done. In Forever People, we had the Terra of Mecha Darkseid. We had the giant version of the monstrous version of the Amazing Man in Omac. I had Phantom Stranger and Spectre fighting at colossal size, which was my War of the Gargantuism moment. Uh... <laughs> How many Godzilla statues can a grown man have in their house? Never enough. <laughs> That's the official answer. <laughs> Never enough. That's my thing. That's your guy. It is, although I have to admit, the new King Kong design's pretty freaking awesome, I have to say. Because I was a big King Kong fan, went to Godzilla, naturally, and I'll tell you, the new Kong, I think I'm falling in love with him, too. Before he became a comics guy, DiDio oversaw TV development at Mainframe Entertainment. Years before that, DiDio did PR for ABC's New York-based soap operas, such as All My Children and One Life to Live. Soaps actually proved to be a great training ground for understanding the narrative structure of comics. It also provided the opportunity for DiDio to help create one of the more unusual crossovers in recent comics history. 
The soap opera work actually helped me to understand the structure of the interaction of characters and the melodrama, how to carry a beat, how to leave a cliffhanger so to get you from one episode to the next or one scene to the next is something that I think is important that way. Whenever you do a scene cut, you should always leave it on a question so that way people want to come back to that scene so that you want to know what that question was and how it's going to be answered. So I learned a lot of that there. But oddly enough, I had uh, one of the actors who is a star on All My Children, a guy by the name of Walt Willie, who played Jackson Montgomery. Believe it or not, big time comic fan. So let me tell you the secret. I was working in publicity on the soap operas, but I was a comic fan, Walt was a comic fan. We found a way, true story, to cross over Walt Willie with the second life of Dr. Mirage. There's actually an issue of Dr. Mirage, Walt Weary guest stars in. <laughs> You're kidding. I am not kidding you. Drawn by Bernard Chang, and Bernard and I still laugh about that to this day. I gotta hunt that down here on the floor. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, thanks so much for this time. This was a lot of fun. It's awesome, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Behind the Panel. Make sure you subscribe from your favorite podcast provider. And if you're enjoying the show, give us a rating and a review. Behind the Panel is a Sci-Fi Wire podcast executive produced by Matt Romano, produced, scored, and edited by Paul Terry, mixed and mastered by Dave Draper. And I'm your host, Mike Avila. Give me a follow on social media, at Mike Avila, and let me know what comics you're reading. And a reminder that Behind the Panel is also a killer video series at SciFiWire.com and our YouTube channel. And up next, it's our season one finale. Don't miss our conversation with the one and only Todd McFarlane. Till then, be good. <laughs>